Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast. We're taking a forward look at what speakers are covering at our events, turning our attention this time to our upcoming webcast titled Emerging Antitrust Issues in Pharmaceuticals and Life Science Sectors. This webcast is going live Tuesday, November 19th, running between 12pm and 1.30pm Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be joined by a panel composed of Howard Morse, a partner at Cooley LLP, and Laura Kraft, a president of OnPoint Analytics Incorporated. More information about our speakers, their full agenda, and how to sign up and listen to the event are all found in the description box down below, along with the code PODCAST25. And when used at checkout, PODCAST25 gets you 25% off that very first webcast registration. Let's hear from our speakers now. Very good. Well, I'm Howard Morris. I'm a partner with the Cooley uh, Law Firm. Earlier in my career, I spent 10 years at the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, where I served as Deputy for Policy and Assistant Director of the FTC Bureau of Competition. I was responsible for antitrust enforcement in high-tech industries, including a number of matters in the pharmaceutical industry, the subject of our upcoming webinar. Uh, The goal today is to provide a preview of that program and touch on some key trends. My focus will be on developments in Washington, of which pharmaceutical biotech companies should be aware, where the FTC is focusing its antitrust attention, and the politics of antitrust enforcement, which may impact the business decisions that companies make. My key areas of focus will include patent litigation in the pharmaceutical industry, and settlement of that patent litigation, particularly so-called reverse payments in the industry, what the FTC likes to call pay-for-delay developments. Um, We've seen various enforcement actions and a decision out of the FTC in the impacts endo matter uh, recently that is worth everyone knowing about. Second topic I'll be touching on will be refusals to produce provide samples to prospective generic competitors, generally under so-called REMS safety programs, um, where the FTC has filed amicus briefs and submitted comments uh, that gives a sense of potential enforcement in that area. Third topic I will be addressing will be so-called product copying. Companies often develop new, improved versions of drugs before they go off patent and face generic competition. Um, And with recent FTC enforcement action, we'll have guidance on what steps companies can take uh, to avoid becoming a target of antitrust issues. Finally, I think it is worth uh, addressing the political aspects with the presidential election campaign uh, moving into high gear. um, We're seeing comments um, from various um, candidates about the industry worth having some sense of where that's heading. Uh, Even comments from President Trump attacking the industry and pricing and what that potentially could lead to including the potential for expanded FTC enforcement under Section 5 of the FTC Act. We've seen comments from some of the commissioners that they should 
look to expand attacks, um, to eliminate unfair deceptive acts or practices in the industry, to attack pricing issues. On the other hand, other commissioners have warned that such standalone use of Section 5 of the FTC Act, untethered from theories of antitrust liability under the Sherman Act, is likely to face problems. That's what's on the horizon. We'll talk about those issues in more detail during the program on November 19th. Hope you can join us. So I'm Laura Kraft from OnPoint Analytics, a litigation consulting firm that focuses on the pharmaceutical industry. And this is a very interesting time to be in that particular practice niche. There's a real battle uh, shaping up between the circuits with regard to class certification in pharmaceutical antitrust cases. Uh, there traditionally has been a, a relatively liberal standard with regard to the possible inclusion of uh, uninjured consumers or other indirect purchasers, but that is changing. We see the evolution in the First Circuit most clearly going from the Nexium case in 2015 to the 2018 decision in Azacol, which declined to certify a consumer class or end payer class on the basis that there were possibly uninjured parties. We've got a different direction potentially being signaled uh, by the more recent First Circuit decision in Loestrin and a different approach altogether expressed in the Third Circuit's recent decision in Suboxone which uh, certified an issues-only class for end payers. All of this has potentially profound impact, not just in pharmaceutical cases, but in indirect purchaser cases generally, regardless of the industry. And raises the important question, is computing individual damages the only way to determine whether there's common impact? One of the issues that arises in these cases most commonly uh, is the potential for there to be brand loyalists. And you can think about this issue as having application in non-pharmaceutical markets as well, just indicating the willingness of purchasers of a product to switch to something else. And this topic is uh, is relying on research that was done 30 years ago and that is no longer really current or appropriate. What we know today is that it's the structure of the pharmaceutical industry that determines what people end up purchasing at the pharmacy. It's not a question of personal preference. This isn't deciding whether you want to buy uh, lettuce or kale. Uh, this is a question of what your insurance company and others in the institutional chain are telling you you should buy. And one of the ways that those buying decisions are influenced is through rebates from manufacturers. This has become a hot topic as we look for the causes of soaring pharmaceutical prices and try to figure out how to get them under control. Uh, there's a renewed interest in examining closely the spread pricing structures that are used by pharmacy benefit managers. Uh, and represent the way that they get compensated for their services, uh, as well as the magnitude of rebates. At the consumer end, there's been some effort, particularly on the part of United Healthcare, 
to pass through savings that may be realized through rebates to the consumers. And it remains to be seen how well uh, UHC's recently announced program will work. Consumer coupons have been one way of bypassing the traditional pricing structures and giving consumers a uh, basically a, a break on their copay or coinsurance amounts. But some states have taken aim at those programs as simply a way to drive market share back to branded drugs and away from generics. California and Massachusetts um, now attempting to regulate and fairly strictly control the use of such coupons. All of this uh, is, means that we're living in very, very interesting times and that as there's increased public focus and political focus on pharmaceutical pricing, we can expect to learn more and more about what the real drivers of cost actually are. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast. Don't forget, more information about the agenda of this event, how to sign up and listen to it, as well as more information about our panellists, all found in the description box down below. And don't forget about the code PODCAST25. When used at checkout, PODCAST25 gets you 25% off that first webcast registration. We look forward to seeing you November 19th, and until then, take care. Bye for now.